want you to open your Bible with me in Revelations chapter 19. Revelations 19. We just started a series last week called, Who is Jesus? And uh, uh, this is a good question. Who is Jesus? Because a lot of people got a lot of ideas. Uh, Jesus was talking with uh, Peter, and uh, Peter said, uh, and he said to Peter, who, does, who do people say I am? And they all come up with different ideas. And today it's the same. People come up with different ideas about who Jesus is. And if you don't really know who he is, how can you connect and relate with him? How can you enjoy the relationship if you don't really know who he is and out of who he is, how to connect with him? And so uh, the, the Bible talks about the riches of his glory. In other words, there's a great dimension. He's unsearchable. You could spend all your life trying to get to know him. There's still more. So, so we've got to find some way that we can see what he is like. And Peter said, and Jesus said to Peter, well, who do you say I am? And, and you will live out of who you say Jesus is. That's the reality. You will live out of the revelation you have of Jesus. So if your revelation is very light and superficial, your Christian life will be fairly superficial as well. So we want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Our, our, our relationship or our walk with God is about a relationship with the person Jesus Christ. It's not about all the things we do. They are the fruit and the flow of the connection to a person. And so we look in the book of Revelation, and we are reading now in Revelations chapter 19, and in verse 7, and this is yet to come, and John's got this vision, and he sees the voice of a great multitude. He hears the voice of a great multitude, and this is what they're all saying, oh, a great multitude, I love that. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus Christ, has come, and his wife or his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said, blessed are those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then when you go on, you find in this passage in Revelations 19, there are three pictures given of Jesus Christ. This one presents him as a bridegroom, a passionate bridegroom. The next one presents him as a, a sovereign king coming to conquer and subdue the earth. And then the third one presents him as a judge calling every man and woman and child to account for their actions. Now, which is the right picture? The answer is they're all part of the picture. And there are many other pictures in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 23, there's a picture of Jesus being a shepherd. So there are many facets to him. So we're looking now in the book of Revelation where three distinct aspects of him will be revealed. The book of Revelation is about the revealing of Jesus Christ in the end times. And so these three aspects are quite important. So we're going to look today at Jesus, the passionate bridegroom, the passionate bridegroom. And there are in the New Testament about 23 different references to this. It's not just something that appears in Revelation. There's about 23 distinct references to Jesus being a bridegroom. Now for a guy that's not so easy to handle. You know, Jesus the bridegroom on the bride. Give me a break. You know, that's not, give me the king stuff next week. I'll come along next week, get the king stuff. That's my thing there. So for a man, this is not such an easy thing to do, but it'll help you if you understand this that each of these represent is just a picture. It's a way of representing someone and an aspect of what he's like. 
Eh? So each of these is a picture. It's a representation to help you understand invisible things which you can't understand just easily naturally. So if I try to relate to Jesus, what am I going to think of? Am I going to think of sort of someone, you know, tall blue eyes, long hair, long robes? You know, what am I going to think of him? I need to know what he's like. And so the Word of God reveals him and the different aspects of him. And the Bible tells us concerning this particular book, you are blessed if you read it and do what it says. So for us to understand Jesus the bridegroom and to understand how to respond to him, what that means to us if he's a bridegroom and how should I respond? How should I respond? How should I live out my life in the light of that revelation? That's what we we'll to look at. And so we're going to look to do that. You've got to understand a little bit about the Jewish wedding. Because if you and I think of a bridegroom and a wedding, think immediately from our Western mindset. So immediately you think of a church setting. There's a couple of guys, three guys up here in black suits. The bride comes down and we do some things and so on. So that's what we think of. So if we're going to understand Jesus the bridegroom, we do have to understand a little bit about how the wedding ceremony took place in the Jewish context. You need to know what it was like when Jesus, when the book was written, the people understood exactly what he was talking about because he was writing to their culture. Okay? He was writing to their culture. So, for example, uh, if we said that, um, that the, the local tribe had called a hui, for many people, they wouldn't have a clue what that's about. But for the local tribe, they'd say, we know exactly what that's all about. You understand? So, so you have to have a bit of culture to pick it. So let's just go through it. The Jewish wedding consists of two parts, two primary parts. And there's a bit in between. And we're in the bit in between. The, the primary parts are what's called the betrothal and then the actual wedding itself. The betrothal, then the wedding. And I want you to look with me and you'll find this referred to in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So we're going to look, first of all, just quickly at the, uh, the, the main uh, aspects of a, of a Jewish wedding uh, in Jesus' day. And then we're going to see how, this, how Jesus, what he is to us and how to respond. Because the Bible is very clear on what the bride had to do. There was a part the bride plays. There's a part we play. Okay, let's go. And in, in, in Matthew chapter 1... Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was like this. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. The nearest thing we could say is the word engaged. But if I use the word engaged, you'll have a different concept. So we use the word betrothed. Uh, Before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example of her, was thinking or pondering about divorcing her. So notice... The word divorce is connected to someone who's engaged. So their concept of betrothal is different to ours. So here's how a a Hebrew wedding went. There's a family, you can imagine a family, and they've got the father and got a young daughter, and the father's concerned that the young daughter get married. And uh, the common practice there is, uh, number one, was the arrangement, which is called in the Hebrew language, uh, uh, shadukim. Shadukim. Now what happened was it took place one of three ways. Either the father of the groom came and negotiated with the father of the bride, which happened to Samson. Samson's father negotiated. Or he sent someone. He sent an agent on his behalf to the family and negotiated with the father. But there's always a negotiation first of all. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, of course, in the story of Abraham, you remember how Abraham sent Eliezer to negotiate for a bride. So these pictures are scattered through the Bible. Or the son himself would come and he would do the negotiation. So the first part was the 
uh, arrangement or the uh, initiating the prospect of a marriage. And so the young man would bring with him, uh, he would have to bring with him a lot of money. And he would also bring with him a wedding contract, and he would bring with him some wine. And he would go, and you could imagine this day when a man turns up at the house, and it's obvious from how he's come, he is looking to set up a wedding. You can imagine the excitement in the house. Now, at this point, the girl goes out, and the men negotiate. And so there's a negotiation take place, and what is determined in that negotiation is the next thing, and that is the bridal price. What is this? What do I need to pay for the bride? How much do I need to pay? Because for the family who's losing their, losing their daughter, uh, they're, they're losing or there's a loss in that family, and uh, there's a gain in the other family. So there was always a bridal price paid. And uh, so they did a negotiation until they agreed upon the price that would be paid. And of course, the higher the value of the bride, the higher the price that was paid. So if you got 10 Oxen, that's very, very, oh, that's impressive. And so, so the bigger the price, the, the more value is placed. So there's a negotiation take place uh, to purchase the bride. And once the, bride, the, bride, the price has been paid, once the money, it's all agreed and been paid, then the woman is then now no longer uh, going to be part of the family. She is now freed to become part of the new family. So there's a big deal, the bridal price. The third thing that happens is the wedding contract. The wedding contract is called ketubah. Ketubah, the wedding contract. And what would happen is the girl would then be, after the men have had the arrangement, the woman would be brought in and then he would say, I would, he would propose to her. This was the opportunity for him to present his desire and she had the right of refusal. She could refuse. Remember in uh, the day when Rebecca, when Eliezer came to Rebecca, they did all negotiations with the, with the father and there was all the gifts of gold and silver and jewels given and then she had to give her consent. So the bride must give consent. The bride must give consent. Once the bride's given consent, then they draw up the wedding contract. And the wedding contract, the ketubah, was very, very important. We have a little piece of paper which we sign. You know, it's like the mar- you sign the marriage register and you sign a little bit of paper. But this is a different bit of paper. They're not like there. There's a different bit of paper. In this piece of paper, it outlines a number of things. The one of the things it outlines is the bridal price. It makes it very clear what's going to be paid. The second thing it outlines is the details of the wedding, how big the wedding's going to be, what's going to happen in the wedding. And then the third thing it outlines is the provision that the groom promises and undertakes to make, how he will provide for the bride. Now you can imagine the excitement. Here's someone come into the house, talk with dad, there's a price being sorted out by the man, and now she's got the opportunity to enter into this marriage contract. Now, if she agrees, then they sign the marriage contract, and they drink wine together, and now they're betrothed. They're betrothed. And that word betrothal there is as good as married. They're as good as married. In fact, the only way you could break a betrothal was by divorce. So legally, they're the betrothal actually meant they are now husband and wife. Now notice what's said in that Matthew uh, 1 verse, uh, um, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was follows. His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So they're betrothed. Now the next thing that would happen would be that the, uh, the groom would have a bridal gift. He'd have a gift. It's called, what's it called? It's called matan. And he would gift up, they drank the wine together and had written, signed the documents. He would give a gift to the bride. 
And the gift of the bride, sometimes it could be a few coins, and often she would make the few coins into a band to put them around her head. And hence the story or the parable of the woman who lost the coin, it possibly was the wedding gift. So that's why she really, really went everywhere looking through that house trying to find that coin. So she had that, and now she's ready to be married. She's got the wedding gift. She got the wedding gift. They got, they've worked out the price, worked out the contracts, got all the details about everything, all the promises are going to be made, and now they're as good as married. They're betrothed. Now, then the husband would say, he would say, the groom or the bridegroom would say, that I'm going now to prepare a place for us to live together as husband and wife was understood that's what he would do and so there would be a period of separation which could be a year or two years quite interesting in Singapore housing population housing issue is so so major for young couples that they go and have the uh, they have a, a, a pub a, a service uh, in the registry office so they're legally married and then they wait a year to two years till they can get an accommodation and then they have the official wedding it's quite interesting to see that they do that think whoa that's not easy two years my and uh, so anyway but there it is now the bride of course and the groom there were some things happened during the betrothal period and during the betrothal period which is an important period it was a period of preparation period of preparation so the betrothal period is not just hanging around waiting it's a period of intense preparation now the first thing that we find is that the groom he went to his father's house because he would take his bride, he would take her to the father's house, so he had to prepare for her. And the normal thing they did was to add an extension onto the father's house. So he would build on to the house that existed and make new rooms for her. And the new rooms would have within it the bridal chamber and where they would live as a, as a couple. So they would be a part of the father's house. And while he was away doing that and making that preparation, then the bride's responsibility was to get herself ready. So she had one to two years. Now, she knew approximately when he's coming, but she didn't know the exact details. So here's the, here's the thing. She never knew as the time went by which was the night he's going to come. Now, can imagine. You know when Christmas is coming and the frenzy that gets just before Christmas. Got the lights up, got everything up. Presents under the tree. and That anticipation of it all coming is all part of it all. The anticipation of Christmas coming is immense. You know, you get the kids get so excited, they can hardly sleep the night of it. Now, of course, with this, you never knew when he was coming. You knew approximately when he was coming, didn't know exactly when he's coming. And so, therefore, that required that she be always ready. So she had this intense process where now she's having to deal with all the spots, all the wrinkles. She's got to deal with his skin and get his skin all beautiful. So now's when you get Botox, and now's when you get to the beauty place, and that's when you get yourself all done up, get rid of every wrinkle, every spot, everything that says you wake up and there's a little bit of pimple. Oh, no, he might come tonight. So it'd be a frenzy to get everything right. So it was incredibly important that, first of all, that her body was, uh, was presented well, and then also she focused on getting the wedding garments. So she would work to get beautiful wedding garments ready, and uh, she would either use the family jewels or, draw, or borrow jewelry from neighbors and friends so that when the time came, she could instantly put on the wedding garment, she could put on the jewels, and she could go forth to meet her husband. So that's the period. Now, during that period, it was expected the bride would be faithful. In other words, they're, they're as good as married. There's no other lovers, no, no other boyfriends. All boyfriends are gone. That's the end of all boyfriends. This is one lover, one person I'm committed to, and he is coming, and we've got a great wedding day and a life together. 
So that's the betrothal. Now you can understand the problem that Joseph had here when he's got the season of betrothal, he hasn't got to the wedding and his wife's pregnant and he hasn't had a part in that. That is a problem. That is a big problem. Small town, big problem. Small town. Small town mentality, the atmosphere's full of judgment and comparisons and everyone looks at everyone else, everyone's watching everyone else's business, minding everyone's business. So for Mary to get pregnant during the time of betrothal, either Joseph did it or she's been unfaithful. So he's thinking, whoa, what am I going to do? And the Bible says he's a just man and he's thinking, I wonder if I could have a quiet divorce. I, want, I don't want to shame her publicly. So he had a good heart to her. Imagine how he felt. He loves her, paid the price, he's done all negotiations, got the thing, he's looking forward to the wedding, and she's pregnant. You know, that's, that's not easy for a man to find his wife pregnant before they're married and he wasn't involved. Just think about the internal struggle he had over that. And being a just man, he did not react with retaliation. He decided what he would do would try to quietly divorce her because the marriage because of her unfaithfulness, apparently, was as good as over. However, the angel revealed to him, this is actually a divine intervention. Don't do that thing. Keep her. And it says, notice this, it said, he did not know her until after they were married. In other words, during that betrothal, no sexual intimacy, faithfulness, and he kept her until after uh, she had had Jesus. So there, you see it there in the Bible. Now, of course, the next phase, of course, is the actual wedding ceremony itself, which is called uh, Nisuin, which means to carry away. Now, we get this thing of carrying the bride across the threshold. That's where it comes from, out of the Bible. All comes out of the Bible. But mostly it's so changed these days, we don't understand it. So uh, you see then the, the return of the groom. So the bride is aware of approximately when it might happen, but uh, not exactly when it might happen. And so the time is determined by the father. The father decides when the son's got everything all ready, and when he's got everything ready, he said, okay, time for the wedding. And they would have the whole house all prepared for the wedding. The guests were all ready to come. Guests are all invited, and now they're ready to have the wedding. And so the son would go out, and the son would go, and he'd have friends with him, and they would have the shofar, they would have lights, they would have a noise, they would shout, there would be a tremendous shout, the shofar, the trumpets, the and they would make a, a great din outside. Now you can imagine if you are waiting and you don't know which night this is going to be and suddenly you hear the shouting. Now of course they're, they're not coming in a car so they've got time to quickly get ready if you're awake. And I can imagine she's not going to bed early any night. Go just put yourself in the picture. You're not going to miss this. Not going to miss out on this. Immediately, she hears that. Oh, all the attendants run around it quickly, really. And they suddenly getting her into her garments. She already got everything, all the makeup's all ready. She's already into the garments already. And they're ready to go out and meet the groom. And they meet the groom and they go to the father's house where they have the final uh, part of entering the bridal chamber, which is called Chuppa. And uh, there, there's, a, uh, uh, there's the, the consummation of their wedding and then the celebration or party with all the guests for seven days. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that a great seven days? Isn't that amazing? Now, how does this relate to us? Well, the first thing we see is that the Bible tells us Jesus presented himself in many different ways as the groom. I wanted to show you several verses just related to that. The first thing is, he pursues us because he loves us. He loves you 
passionately. The, the deepest need in the heart of every person is to be loved unconditionally. And God loves you. John 3.16, God so loved you, He sent His Son into the world. What did He send His Son into the world for? Why did He say That He might enter into a marriage covenant with us. And to do that, he had to do some things. Number one, he had to negotiate what the price would be. And here's what the price would be, his own life. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you are bought with a price. 1 Peter 1.18, you're not purchased with silver and gold or things like that which perish, but with incorruptible things, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus entered the world, he knew he would pay the ultimate price. Greater love is no man than he lays down his life. So out of this immense love, Jesus enters the world to pursue you, and not just you, to pursue every person in our city. He came to pursue us. Why? He loves us. He wants a relationship. He wants to bless us. He has many things planned. And your destiny can only be fulfilled if there is that connection. How wonderful it is. And this amazing. So he pays the price. And we see at the cross, Jesus paid the price. He said it is finished, which is the exact words that the groom would say to the bride when they're doing the arrangements for the betrothal. After it's all signed up, it's finished. Price has been paid, contract's been signed, it's as good as done. The next thing we find is this. He invites us into covenant with himself. Look at this in Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Uh, let's see if I can find it in here. Verse 27. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them all, saying, Drink all of this, for this is the blood of the new covenant, or the new marriage, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. And I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Now you've got to realize that they are having a supper together. He's about, now the order of this is a little different. What they understood completely is he is now offering a covenant. Now, interesting, in the, the Old Testament covenant, the Old Covenant, also worked out exactly like this thing of a marriage arrangement. You find Moses went to Israel and invited Israel to come into the wilderness unto the Lord, into marriage relationship. Then they paid the price. The blood was shed by the lambs in order to set them free. Then they went out. They given the Holy Spirit, the glory, the provision, everything came. Then they came to Mount Sinai, and that was the day they should have come into their covenant relationship with God. That's the day when what was given? The law was given. What's that? The ketubah. That is the marriage covenant. If you will be this, if you will do this, I will be your God, you'll be my people. And so in the Old Testament, now the disciples understood completely what he's doing. He's now presenting himself as the bridegroom saying, I have a new covenant with you. I want you to enter in. And as you eat and drink with me, you are entering covenant. That's why we do communion. It's to remember we have entered covenant. Covenant is not convenience. Covenant means I am loyal. I am faithful. I am committed. This is the one I have given my life to, to live for. This is the one who gave his life for me. It is a marriage thing. So when we have communion service, you may kind of get distracted by the fact you've got this little wee thing here, a cup and a little wee bit of bread, whatever. It looks so small. But actually, what it's to do is to call to mind we're covenanted with God Almighty. Isn't that something else? Now, what about the gift? Well, 
How about that? I'm glad you asked about the gift. Because He promised. This is what He promised. And notice this, it tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 18, it says, He has given to us the earnest of the Spirit, which is the down payment of our full inheritance. So He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is the important one, is to understand the gift He's given you. In, 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 Acts, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power from on high and shall be witnesses unto me. So this is, you have to understand, the gift is really significant. The gift is the reminder that you are in marriage covenant with the Lord, and the gift will empower you to prepare for His coming. This gift God has given us is the most precious gift of all. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit that leads, guides, convinces of sin, that helps us know we belong to Him. You know that what the witness of the Spirit is? That we belong to another. Huh? We're already committed. When I look at my wedding ring, I belong, oh, look at that one, I belong to another. I belong to another. That's why you wear a wedding ring. It's, it's like you belong to someone. You know, people go on the dating scene, they look around and see the wedding ring. Oops, belongs to another. So you are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is visible to the spirit world. Demons recognize you are a believer. They understand you are joined to the Lord. They understand you are in covenant with the Lord. You belong to the living God. You have received the mighty Holy Ghost and gift of God. And you'll see something else that he does in a moment, which is the bit we really want to get to. And so, this is so exciting. I got so excited about all of this. I think it's wonderful. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, John chapter 14, you know this familiar verse. Of course, it doesn't mean a lot unless you understand the context of the wedding. Verse 4, verse 2 of chapter 14 of John. Pick it up, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, chupa, the, uh, the bridal chamber, for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, where is he? In intimacy with the Father. There you will be also in that same place of intimacy with God. And where I go, you, you know the way uh, that I go. Now, so, there, so you see here, this is the language of a groom. Because the groom would say, as they finished up the betrothal, now I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you, and I will return. And so when Jesus said this, we've got to remember, the context of this is Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples. So everything he says has got more significance than almost any other place. And the significance of this is he's saying, I'm about to leave you. They didn't understand that. I'm about to pay the price to purchase you. They didn't understand that. I will rise again from the dead, and I will ascend into heaven, and I will give you a wedding gift before I go, and I will return, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So all of this is the language of the marriage. And, and so in their culture, they would be, their mind would be racing. That just as God of the Old Testament coveted with the people of Israel now Jesus, God is revealing himself and Jesus saying, I have a covenant not of law but of love. I'm about to lay my life down for you all and then to take of the Spirit in me and put that Spirit in you and you and I will be one. We will be like husband and wife. Isn't that fantastic? This is the language of it. So when it says he's coming as the groom, this is all that it implies there. 
that is, is in these things here. And he promises to return. And we saw that in Revelations. Now, Jesus has made it absolutely clear he, will, he has gone to be with the Father to prepare for us. So he's already in the process of preparing. And he's preparing places of intimacy, dwelling places of relationship with God that all of us are called into. Now, the key to it happening is the Holy Spirit. The key to all of this is the Holy Spirit. Because the bride is called to prepare herself. So just as the husband went to prepare the place uh, for the, uh, that they would consummate their marriage and get the feast all ready, the bride had to prepare herself. Now, I'm going to give you four scriptures about the bride preparing. And each one of the scriptures contains a truth about what preparation looks like for you. And the thread that flows through all of it is, it has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't prepare yourself without the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. I'll show you how it helps us in just a moment. So let's have a quick look at it. And uh, I won't take long. And uh, let's have a look. So... How can I respond to what Christ has offered? The first two things are simple, and we'll talk about the third one in a bit more detail. The first is simple. Receive Christ. Receive Him. He died on the cross for you. Why live without God? Why live a life without destiny and purpose? Receive Him and receive Him today. Second thing is, if you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost and haven't received the power of the Spirit to live out a great life, then receive the Holy Ghost today. Get filled with the Spirit and the gift of tongues. Oh, sign to who? Unbelievers, what of? That I am in covenant with God. How wonderful. And then the last part is this, is that we're called to prepare ourselves. Now, let's just quick look at the Scriptures very quickly. I'll just highlight them. You can search them out and go through them yourself. Here's number one. Number one's found in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. Paul says, I have espoused you to one spouse. There it is, verse 2. I'm jealous with a godly jealousy. I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunningness, your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity or pure, simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Number one, the work of the Spirit is simply this, to help you grow in your love relationship and devotion to Jesus Christ. This is number one. I love Him. That's why we have worship. I love Him. And this is why you get into the Word. I love Him and I want to hear from Him. So the first thing is loyalty to Jesus Christ. Now, what that really means is He's number one in your life. You can't have a husband and a boyfriend. That's true. It doesn't work anywhere in life. Because when the husband finds out, he'd be very jealous. And so Paul's saying, I'm really jealous because I see how easy it is, having fallen in love with Christ and received Him and responding to Him, to then get your life filled up with other stuff. How much other stuff is filling your life? How many other things have got first call on your time, your life, your heart, your attention, your affections, your thoughts? Your worries. Where is your life going? What place does Jesus Christ have in your life? Number one. Number two is found in the book of Esther. Number two is found in the book of Esther. In Esther chapter 2 and verse 15. There's a whole thing of its own. I've got so much studying all of this, but we can only do one thing on it. So here it is, Esther. Esther 2 and verse Nehemiah. Esther, here it is. Now look at this. Now remember Esther was, had the opportunity to become a bride to a king. 
picture is the bride to the king. And so the king sends out and says, we're going to invite lots of pretty girls. And what we want to do is get all the pretty girls to come and they'll all dress themselves up and get themselves looking good. They'll come in and the king will try them out. And if he likes them, they're, they're the queen. And if they don't like them, they're gone. There's one of the concubines, another one out there. Now, I know that's pretty primitive, but that's what life was like in those days. And that's what actually was happening to her. Now, here's the key thing about Esther. Look at this. Everyone else, of course, did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Every one of them dressed up the way they thought they'd look pretty. Every one of them did their makeup the way they thought would be right. But look what it says about her. It says, Esther, when the turn, verse 15, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as a daughter to go into the king, look at this, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's unit, the custodian of woman, advised. And she obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Now, who is Haggai, the custodian of the woman? The custodian of the woman, whose role was to get the woman ready to be the wife to the king. Whose role is that? The Holy Spirit. And notice it said, no, no, everyone else just did what they thought was right. This is what she did. She required nothing except what the Holy Spirit directed her. So this speaks of a surrendering to the leadership of the Holy Spirit daily in our lives. Listening to the voice of God. Listening to the Holy Spirit. Letting Him show you what God likes, what God doesn't like. Have you ever stopped to ask Him, what is it you like? What is it you don't like? Is there anything in my life you don't like? And then listen until you hear the reply. When you start to ask those questions, you hear all kinds of things. Very specific things. I don't like this. I don't like that. It grieves me. So the Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can upset the one who knows you. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He just finds what the Father wants, and he reveals what the Father wants. The Bible tells us that in the book of John. Not only that, it tells us in the book of John that the Holy Spirit will take the things of Jesus and make them known to us. So now what Jesus likes, the Holy Spirit can put on your heart. So don't follow tradition. Don't follow your old ways. Don't follow what you think is best. Start to listen to the Holy Spirit because those who are led by the Holy Spirit are the sons of God or they will be the bride prepared for the husband. The moment that he went in, she was immediately favored because she let Holy Spirit prepare her. So yield to the Holy Spirit. Here's the last two now. Matthew 25, is this found one there? Look at this, Matthew 25. Matthew 25 and verse 10, and it's about Jesus teaching about the end times. You say, look, the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding. And guess what's happening in the wedding? The virgins are chosen, five wise, five foolish. And the five foolish, of course, didn't have any oil. And then the midnight cry came, verse 6, and the, the bridegroom is coming, go to meet him. And all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, verse 8, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. They said, no, this is not enough. You go and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready uh, went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Oh, that's, we won't go into all of that. I have taught on that before. But here's what this says. You notice it says, those who were ready. Those who were ready had paid a price to have oil for their lamp. Now, you are the lamp. You are the light of the world. But what ignites you? Ha-ha! Oil! Holy Ghost! 
Oil is always a, tip, a type of the Holy Ghost. You and I need to be full of the Spirit of God. Excited by the Holy Ghost. Praying in tongues. Letting the Spirit of God energize you day by day. And set this a price. It just doesn't happen. You get up and you pray. You sit and discipline your life and pray. Begin to arise and ask God to empower you to pray. And you pray. And you spend time in the Word of God. And as you spend time in the Word of God, the Word of God, by the way, it says it's like a mirror that when you look into it, oh, you see what you're really like. And the Holy Spirit points out where you need to change. And so, it, notice this, some were ready, some were not. So while all are invited, some prepare and some do not. Let me ask you, what is happening in your life? Are you preparing your life? Are you in connection, communion with the Holy Spirit? Are you letting Him talk to you about your life? Are you letting Him put the finger on things which don't happy at all, but rather grieve Him? Things like anger and bitterness and resentment and jealousy and pettiness and small-mindedness and exclusivism and all that kind of stuff. Pride. All those things grieve Him. Are you letting the Holy Spirit? Are you building a prayer life? What a great... Why don't we this year make a decision? We will prepare ourselves for the new things that God has. And here's the last one. I'll finish with that. Go back to where we started. In Revelations 19 and verse 7. And his wife has made herself ready. How about that? She made herself ready. So don't leave it all up to God. There's something you have to do. It requires a choice. I've had God speaking to me about the use of my time, about using time carefully because time can be uh, spent but not regained. You can get money again, but you can't get time. For many, time is running out. So how are you using your time? What is wasting your time? You'd be surprised if you watch news every day how many hours a week that will amount to. You'd be surprised if you spend a lot of time watching this and that or doing this and that on games, how your life disappears and you cannot get it again. You cannot get it again. So what are you doing with your time? Here it is. His wife has made herself already. And verse 8, she was arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the wine. Linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I see here's the last thing that makes us ready. It's not just about our prayer life and our intimacy with God. It's not just about spending time in the Word. It's about our life becoming beautiful with acts of compassion and kindness. Notice it said, she was arrayed in fine linen, which is the righteous acts. The word righteous act means things you do out of your relationship with God. And in the Old Testament, the word righteous was the word sadaka, meaning to have compassion on people, to be generous to people. So here it is. You can see it all there. We see the different aspects of preparation, making yourself ready, your relationship with the Holy Spirit, your response and yielding to the Holy Spirit. You're building a life of prayer, a life where the Spirit of God moves easily and quickly through you, and you let it overflow to the reaching of people in our community, the people around you, acts of kindness, acts of mercy, acts of evangelism, acts that reach people and let them know there's a God that loved them. And to her was granted she would be arrayed in fine linen, which is the righteous acts of all of the saints. So we have some choices to make today. Why don't we just close our eyes just quickly now, and I want to just ask you to consider how you will respond to Jesus Christ. How will you respond? How will you respond to him being the groom? How will you respond? Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the first response you could make would be to receive him as your savior. Jesus said to everyone who received him, made him welcome in their life, he gave power to be a child of God. If you're here today 
never made the decision to personally commit your life to Christ, uh, to put your trust in Him. Church can't save you. Works can't save you. The only thing that can give a relationship with God is faith in Christ. Is there any person here today at that place of decision? Please raise your hand and let me know, I want to receive Christ today. I want to receive Jesus. If that's you today, would you raise your hand right now? Would you raise your hand right now if you're at the place of receiving Christ, wanting to become a Christian? Is there any person here today has not made that decision yet? God bless us. See your hand over there. Wonderful. Anyone else? There's a woman over here. Is anyone else today ready to make that decision? Just quickly raise your hand. God bless us. See your hand over there, sir. That's wonderful. Is there anyone else here to make that decision? God, I see the hand over there. God bless you, sir. Three hands. Is there anyone else here today? Jesus. Anyone else? It's not too late to make that decision. Not too late to make that decision. Okay, the second decision for you to make, are you filled with the Holy Spirit yet? Do you have the Holy Spirit baptism, speaking a new language, starting to flow with the Holy Spirit? Because He's the one who prepares you. He's the one you'll be listening to. When did you last speak in tongues? Did, have you got that gift? Why not open your heart today and receive it? Here, just at that place of decision to receive the Holy Ghost. And raise your hand. You want to receive the Holy Ghost today? Want someone to pray for you? Just God bless. There's a hand over there. The hands here. There's people over here. Different ones. God bless. Different ones. Okay. We'll have an altar call for you. Now, here's the last decision I want you to consider. I wonder today what you are doing this year to make yourself ready, to prepare yourself. How is your devotion to Jesus Christ? Are there things in your heart, other lovers, other friends, things that have taken away that simplicity of just enjoying walking with Him? What are they? How about your prayer life, your time in the Word and prayer, building a daily time and altar, listening and being empowered and filled by the Spirit of God day by day? What's happening there? What about uh, the area of uh, just yielding and surrendering to the Holy Spirit, letting Him talk into your life? When did you last hear him speak? You need to make decisions about reordering your life. And, and what are you doing to extend the gospel, to build the house of God and extend the kingdom? If there's nothing you're doing, then that would be a great place to make yourself ready this year. This is what we'll do now, just as you're thinking about what, what it is you need to respond to. We're just going to stand in a moment, and each person put their hand up to receive Jesus. I'd like you to make your way to the front. Stand in a row in front of me. I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus. It'll take about a minute, two minutes, and then we'll pray for you. And everyone is going to appreciate and value made this decision. It's a great decision. So ready, church? Let's all stand together. One, two, three. Stand. Come on, let's give them a clap as people have put their hand up. Come. God bless you, dear. Just give me a hand. God bless you. Jesus,